ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Sends and Suffers Podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley, and I am so excited that you are here, back again, downloading the episode, taking a listen, and making all this work that me and the team put into this worthwhile. Thank you, thank you, and you're rad. And if you guys haven't already, please join our sticker club. For a simple thing of $5 a month, which is virtually buying me a beer and just hanging out, you get stickers and cool things in the mail. Sometimes a little love letter, sometimes it's just the stickers, sometimes it's a sneak peek of what's coming up. But if you haven't already, go to sendsandsuffers.com and join now. I'm looking forward to sending you some stickers and some love letters. Next up, I'm so excited to announce this partnership. Jim Climber Magazine and Sends and Suffers podcast. How rad is this? Because I was inspired and I was motivated by climbing magazines to go outside. I mean, those are the things that really allowed me to go down the rabbit hole, reading these stories, these articles that just inspire me to go to these wild places. I also got training tips. I also got information about local climbing gyms. I mean, it is a wealth of information. And I know you can go on the internet, I know you can Google it, but honestly, the best source of curated information that's going to give you the most reliable content is in these magazines. So if you guys do not subscribe to Jim Climber Magazine, please go on their website, check them out on the gram, check out all their things because they are promoting us on all their platforms. And I want you guys to be just as inspired as I am and was by those old magazines that I still have on my bookshelf today. Now, I know not everyone who listens to this is a climber, but if you are thinking about getting into climbing or you are a seasoned climber, there are three companies here that I'm about to mention that are going to be a game changer. First and foremost, Tension Climbing. Please go to senseandsuffers.com. Their link is on our website. Anything you buy from their shop will support this podcast. Now, what are they? They are the one-stop shop to making you stronger and better all the things that we don't like to do hangboarding finger training grip training you name it they have all the tools and they've got some great tips on their site so if you haven't already please check them out and if you're looking maybe even to add some tools in your house you should check out their training board they've got an amazing amazing one i personally love climbing on it i love climbing on wooden holds it saves my skin for the crag This next thing might seem like a little detail, but we all know it's the little things that make the big gains in life. And having good gear, chalk bucket, chalk bag, crash pad, when you go outside and when you're training indoors, you want to be prepped. I talk about this in my seven assignments, and what I want to give a big shout out to is organic climbing. I'm super excited to be on their climbing team, but most importantly, I believe in their product. And... I love that you can customize their stuff. Like how many of us have gone outside and had the exact same crash pad or the exact same chalk bag as everyone else? Make your stuff as unique as you are. Check them out. Organic climbing. Let them know that you came here because of Sins and Suffers podcast and they'll take care of you. Last, but by no means the least. And this, honestly, your boy... Your boy has had some 
chagrining moments and realization in his climbing. I am so excited to be part of the Kaya Collective, and I have been using Kaya for quite a while now. I hope you guys all find me on there. My name is Black Thunder, Black underscore Thunder. Check a brother out. But I love their app because I can track my progress. And I don't know about you, but in my time climbing, I journal all my outdoor climbs. You check me out on Mountain Project, I got a ton of them on there. But I just keep in track of all of this stuff. It's always made me a better climber. And I admit in my later years, I've gotten a little lazy. But with Kaya, I've been able to get that data. And we all know data is king. Data is key nowadays. Whatever. The internet sells your data and makes a fortune off of it. So why don't you collect the data on your climbing and realize the gold mine that's in front of you? And I have had to come to realize that I need to step my game up because I'm looking at the things. And y'all can go there. Check me out. Y'all see exactly what I'm talking about. But if you're not on Kaya, it's at most gyms. It's at most things outdoors. You can find any climb, but post it, share it. Let me see it, but most importantly, track your own progress so you can see your gains. These are the three fundamental tools that you are going to need in order to be successful at climbing. Whether you're new or a seasoned climber, these tools will help you succeed. All right, let's get into the episode. All right, Lynn, welcome to Sense and Suffers podcast. I am super excited to have you as a guest on the show. Um, so I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Can you just tell the audience, because I'm assuming some people know who you are and some people don't, who are you, where are you from, and what is your connection to the outdoors? Yeah, uh, my name is Len Nessifer. Um, I wear a lot of different hats, but I'm uh, actually just transitioning out of being a professor and I'm going to be doing out outdoor stuff more full time with my company, Natives Outdoors. But I'm uh, originally from the Navajo Nation in uh, northeastern Arizona. I grew up in a, a few places, uh, Lawrence, Kansas, and a place called Salie, Arizona. Um, I live in Tucson now. Um, but yeah, I'm like a big skier, climber, do the outdoor things. Um, but yeah, I'm super, super psyched to be here and chat with you and finally link this up after a year of crazy COVID stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was about to say, we've been going back and forth for at least like, I want to say five, like <laughs> four or five months with COVID and everything. So I'm psyched that you're here. Um, you know, I saw you made that post on the gram. So what was your decision to leave? Why did you leave academia? Yeah, actually, yeah, let's take a step back and like how I got a degree. So <laughs> I mean, why, why, why I'm in this position? Um, I said, you know, I mentioned I was grew up on the Navajo Nation. Um, but uh, I, I kind of grew up in the shadow of a lot of energy and mineral development on the Navajo Nation. So our tribe, our reservation lands kind of been a energy colony for the United States for the better part of a century, um, whether that's coal or uranium. And um, oh, wow. those legacies are still there. My grandfather was a uranium miner who's incredibly sick. Um, they didn't give his folks, you know, breathing protection, whatever. I lived next to, you know, so anyways, he was sick most of my life. And then I grew up next to a coal power plant, oil and gas development. I developed asthma. Um, and I just remember being a young man and super frustrated. And I said, I got to change this. And so went off, did the engineering thing, got a degree, got like sort of the training to learn how to 
work on that policy and um yeah and then i just i basically that's how i ended up with a phd so my phd is on engineering and public policy i focused on energy policy on the navajo nation and yeah, I started working in academia and, um, you know, part because it was, it seemed like a good opportunity. There's very few, few and far between in terms of tenure track jobs. But, you know, one of the things that I just really um, uh, started seeing is that there's just like, there's a real disconnect from how success is measured in the academy versus like what's actually impactful for my community. Um, and, you know, that in the academy, it's journal publications and grants. And okay given the timeframes in which you have to complete these and compared to say the the length of time it takes to develop a relationship and a productive relationship in native communities, it's kind of a, there's a really big disconnect. So it, it almost feels like I feel a little rushed to like do work that isn't extractive, you know, and sort of partnership with communities that takes a long yeah. time. And yeah, um, yeah. the pressures were kind of like, you know, produce, produce, produce without little concern about the process and, you know, the ways in which the academy and research has um, hurt our communities. And so I tried my best in that system to work towards that. But, you know, I think the other challenge is that a lot of folks working in the academy, especially in universities like this, have no context or clue about Native communities. And so it was kind of falling on deaf ears a lot of the time. So I figured, you know, no need to, (laughs) no need to like, uh, so I had that going on as a professor. And then, you know, for the past three years as a professor, I've had uh, my foot in the outdoor industry and that work there. And, you know, that's been, that's been a space where I felt like I've, I don't know, people have respected me for the, what I've, you know, the things I bring to the table feels it's a lot more healthy in terms of what work-life balance. And I just, yeah, you know, had, no, I would definitely agree. had the choice between the two and I was like, you know, I'm, I, you know, life's too short to be unhappy. So I'm going to do what Amen. makes me happy and, um, you know, and it'll figure itself out. And the Academy has a long way to go to figure itself out. It's got, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I have one, I have one quick question for you. So you mentioned that like the Academy has been detrimental to your communities. Can you kind of give me an example? Because you know, just playing the ignorant card here. I mean, totally. I'm very aware. I'm very aware of like education, government, things like that. Big bodies, big business, whatever it has done to the black community. Mm-hmm. But I am honestly extremely, and I, you know, it's kind of, I feel embarrassed to admit this, but I'll say at the same time, I think this is probably more common than anything else. Like I don't, outside of, you know, the typical things that one would think that Hollywood and everything is, and you see on TV and the grand portrayed, like what are ways that these organizations have damaged or attacked or continually attack your communities in ways that we don't see? Yeah. I mean, it's, I would say there's a lot of overlap between the black experience with academia and the native American. Like it's, it's very much a similar set of histories, whether that's, you know, the Tuskegee experiments and that sort of thing, like those things happen to us. Um, you know, the other is, um, like the prioritization of like what gets researched or what's deemed valid research. Um, Uh, you know, that's a big thing. And so like, you see that sort of where resources are shifted or often not in the places where communities want or care, but maybe more of more importance to say the researcher. Um, you know, in, in the case of like state institutions, for example, like uh, land grant institutions, um, you know, most of their most of land grant institutions 
um, financial footing initially began with uh, uh, the um, they were sort of parceled out state these things called state trust lands like these are lands that could okay. be sold. Um, but they all came from like violent indigenous dispossession. So a lot of state institutions like their, you know, financial bedrock is, you know, in the case of the Ivies is like slavery. Um, Jesus, you know, in the case of the, you know, like the Browns and the, and the Harvards and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, they were built by slaves and, and financed by the sale of slaves. And then in the West, it's a combination of a little bit of that financing that comes from those sorts of institutions, but also, um, through the sale of trust lands and, you know, dispossessed indigenous lands. Um, but more recently, you know, there's been, uh, uh, you know, sort of this, the, the, the incentives within the institution are almost geared towards, it's all about the individual and what the individual produces and, you know, the timelines and how quickly you're expected to produce, it leads itself to actually very exploitative behaviors, um, and saying like, actually, I need a little bit more time to develop this relationship with this community before I can do work in partnership. But that means that you get uh, set behind okay. your, your sort of promotion letter because you can't go through those processes. There's a few things there. Um, but the one that comes to mind, um, most recently, uh, in with kind of related to my communities was the, the use of the genetic research. So there was a, actually not the University of Arizona, another state, you know, Arizona State back in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a genetics researcher uh, that was doing research, I believe, with the Hualapai tribe, which was one of the tribes that lives in the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And, uh, you know, they had partnered with the tribe, collected these DNA samples. They sat in a freezer. They, you know, did this one study. Then, then they then took those uh, research samples out again. And then began reprocessing them and and they were trying to like uh, uh, basically look at the genetic predisposition of folks to like um, behavior, like poor behavior uh, or not poor mm-hmm. behavior, but like um, they were trying to look at the, the effects of like things like incest on like crime rates and alcoholism. And they were trying to like, it was very eugenic-y in the sort of what they were, what they were researching. And they didn't tell the community that's what they were doing. And they published this paper and basically tried to tie, um, you know, that the genetic link that, you know, there was a higher level of um, intermarrying in this community than others. And this in part could explain, you know, some of their, um, current situation of being impoverished, high rates of alcoholism, blah, 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 but completely neglecting the fact that like they had been a colonized people. Right. And, um, um, and so that, that paper was discovered by, uh, uh, one of the tribal members and she took it back to the tribe and said, Hey, they're writing this stuff and like not having our consent. And, and, um, it led to this whole uproar, uh, about human subjects research on, on native lands and, you know, it's, it's kind of rippled and, you know, it's, it's created a tense relationship. Um, and, you know, unfortunately as a native scholar within that, it's like, I, I represent the institution. So like, I can't really necessarily separate myself, even though I'm a part of the community. Um, yeah, yeah, that's complicated. It is. Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's an incredible place for liberation. Education can be, um, and it's an incredible, tool for equity, but it's also within systems that are just have not been geared or rethought in sort of the sort of the history and legacies that they carry. 
That's crazy. I mean, I would have never like, I mean, it makes sense. What you say makes sense when you look at the history of academia and you look at the history towards minority groups in the country as a whole. But on the reels, though, like that's just kind of wild to me that like that would be put out in. And you said this all came out in the 90s or in the 80s? In the 90s. In the 90s? Yeah. I mean, that's what, like, when Tribe Called Quest was just, like, throwing it out. So, like, (laughs) jeez. I was a teenager when that was out. That's wild to me. Okay. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, I just, and I look at it, like, uh, you know, I look at, you know, what are the opportunities for, like, our communities to educate ourselves and, like, the powers of, like, the HBCUs and the tribal colleges and, like, I just like more and more, I'm like, man, that's such a system that we need to invest in and like put more time and mm-hmm. energy to. And Can you explain what those are? Because yeah. I don't know what those are. What, uh, what is the HBCU? Uh, historical, historically black colleges, uh, universities and colleges and universities. So. Okay, then. Okay. Yeah. I was like, thinking it was along that yeah. line, but I was thinking this ties into Native American, but I was trying to figure no, that yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the Howards and stuff like that or. Okay. Um, and then, you know, in the case of tribal colleges like Dinette College or um, Sitting Bull College, you know, there's a few. There's a, okay. there's a lot like okay. that, too. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, dude, that's heavy. And so I want to like transition <laughs> yeah. into a lot. But, like we can go deep in that rabbit yeah, hole because totally. like, uh, in, yeah, in all honesty, like that's really what interests me. But like at the same time, for the sake of everyone listening to this, I know you guys want us to bounce around and I love you. So and bounce around a little bit. But um, so one thing I would like to do and follow up with that is, you know, you mentioned, you know, in academia, you're now leaving it. So are you still staying in your more, uh, I guess, political or represent, uh, representation role? Are you still going to kind of dig in that? And I saw that you recently met uh, the Secretary of Interior. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. How's like all that going? It's good. You know, I think my my role in the outdoor industry is I the, the link between research academia and the outdoor industry is kind of weak. And I still like, I plan to continue that and like work on, mm-hmm. you know, generating thought and like kind of thinking about how the outdoor industry can be a force for good when it comes to things like climate change or environmental issues, environmental justice. Um, okay. You know, so it's been, uh, yeah, it's like super exciting and thinking about that. So like in my roles as uh, I'm on the board for the American Alpine Club and then also the Honnold Foundation. But in those two roles, um, you know, this topic about environmental justice and like how do we think about nice. these sorts of issues. Like I'm still working on research with, you know, um, the American Alpine Club related to things like that. And um, yeah, it feels like there's um, uh, I think post pandemic, we're going to be looking at uh, well, post lockdowns, I don't know if COVID will ever go away, yeah. but you know, we're looking nah. at a world in which a lot more people have gone outside. Um, oh yeah. And I would agree. Yeah. And it's an exciting time. And I look, you know, I look at that and I'm like, wow, that's a huge opportunity. Um, one of my best friends, Clint, his brother-in-law works for an RV, uh, manufacturing place. And he's like, yeah, he's like, you are on a two year wait list to get what you want. Like, like, you know, the cream of the creme and anything kind of like low ball, it's like a nine month wait list. Like you just can't get anything because everyone is Whoa. trying to go outside. Everyone is trying to travel locally. And so it's just an explosion. And then from being a owning a guiding company, I've seen now that people are starting to get a little bit more comfortable and they're okay. And in the guiding world, you know, you can't not, not be close to people sometimes, mm-hmm. but now it's kind of like, you know, 
I'm watching the trickle turn into a little bit more of a kind of like, you know, you turn your faucet on, it's almost a stream. And I, I foresee this happening. So I'm trying to get set up for it right now. But people are wanting to go outside more. Mm-hmm. And um, I was I actually had the privilege. I didn't know you were on the board of the American Alpine Club. I just recently got asked to be on uh, United Climb. So oh, we're yeah, talking right. about the rhetoric where, uh, you know, whether a, a name can be is hurtful or is it just inappropriate, but basic concept around root names. And so mm-hmm. it's been a very, very interesting conf- conversation. We just did our first breakout oh, cool. a few days ago and it's rad. So I'm, I'm happy to know that we're basically working on the same <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, Air, that's, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, especially around the root naming stuff. Like that's, uh, gosh, that's such a complicated issue. <laughs> I just like. I mean, well, is it really? I don't think it's that complicated. Well, I mean, I guess in terms of like the vulgarity, but then it's like uh, the question that I then ask is like, we're then talking about, you know, naming features of lands that were stolen that native peoples don't even have access to, or maybe they're sacred areas that tribes do and it's naming a sacred thing. And it's like, okay, yeah, I mean, okay. it's just like, so Looking at it from that perspective, but it to me it doesn't seem that complicated because if you look at who was bolting, oh totally, like, I th- yeah. I mean, if you just take a big step back yeah. and take a look, like you know, I mean, he all my all my beautiful white boys that I bolt with, you guys know that I love you. I think you're beautiful people, and you guys are genuine, and you talk to me about the things, and you are the people furthering the way. So what I'm about to say does not apply to you. If you if you think this applies to you, then Maybe you should check yourself. But um, if you look at the caliber of people that were bolting mm-hmm. and the attitudes and the and the, the sexist behavior and even then. And, you know, I mean, in the 70s, whenever this was going on, not even actually 80s, even in the mid 90s. But like it was always either it was, you know, from what I remember, it was like Generation X. Mm-hmm. Then you have like your counterculture. Then you have your hippies mm-hmm. and you have this. But there's always it's only been now and i jokingly say this to people all the time like it's never been so good to be a black man in america like ever until now like i i walk down the street with a cell phone and people are terrified of me and it's like it's this weird thing but now when you look at this like and so if you take that in consideration and take like the approach towards the dominant, like the majority mm-hmm. in America, if you take their approach and how they view it and now that they view that they're under attack, they view that they're the minority when they're still 70 percent of the population. You know, let's just be honest, like, yeah. you know, we're 13 yeah. percent. And, you know, you guys, I, we're, I'm we're, with we're, you all the way. We're, because we're 1.8. <laughs> <laughs> <What? Yeah. laughs> oh, my yeah. God. We need to work no. together, man. <laughs> we almost got wiped oh, out. No. Like, that's the thing. But yeah, I hear. Oh, no, dude. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So go for it. It's, so to me, it's not that complicated because if you look at the caliber of the human being that was putting the bolts in the wall, if you look at the caliber of the mm-hmm. human being who felt that like they like they I don't even want to say that they felt like they could they belong there they deserve to be there it was just it it was this absent-mindedness I can just go wherever I want Mm -hmm. to go you know I don't even think it is and then until it was finally challenged by people until it was finally challenged by other people and what they're doing is challenged then it's like whoa, 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 whoa I've always been here and I'm like well yeah but it's 
it's you've never really asked permission or you've never really done this. And granted, the system is set up for you. Mm. So I have like this like teeny violin size, a little bit of empathy for that. <laughs> Not in, in, in that little yeah. situation. You know, can you see it? I'm yeah, playing like it real, real small. Real but tiny. yeah, but. To me, that's why it's like, it's like when we were having these conversations in the meetings, it just wasn't really surprising to Mm -hmm. me. And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, I'm like, what do you expect? Like, if you look at the behavior of the people at authority now, the majority, I'm not. And once we get like dividing this up, like, I don't believe all people are proud boy, white people. I don't believe all white people are proud boys. I don't Mm -hmm. believe all people are this thing, but people want to go along to get along and most people will not stop bad behavior. Mm -hmm. So since you have never stopped that bad behavior and there's only been a few people to step up that bad behavior, it's just been perpetuated or allowed. Mm -hmm. And then even some people grow out of that bad behavior, but it's always been okay. Mm -hmm. So to me, I'm like, I don't understand why you guys are surprised. Like we need to start this from the bottom as they did like we need more diverse people mm-hmm. bolting. We need more diverse people out in the pro- out in these spaces. And I get that it's like, you know, with I mean, you know, rape train is the name of a route, slavery yeah. wall. You have all these things. Yeah. I mean, we won't get into all of these things, but um, you know, I, I get that it is it is terrifying, and I get that that everyone's emotional state is very different. Mm-hmm. Like I want to I want to give a lot of respect to that, but. Just as we need white allies, we also need people to boldly go into these spaces and start just putting up stuff, establishing things, working with communities and just put make more of it and make more allies. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's how I've been like really thinking about this a lot because this conversation comes up a lot. And I talked to a lot in a previous episode with Melissa too about mm-hmm. this, but it's it's a complicated thing. And I'm very it i i never thought about it from your perspective and it's just like it's a whole nother level it's like you have the issue of like racist horrible you know ethnic names but then on top of that it was your land to begin yeah. with. I, we don't even have access to it anymore <laughs> but you know i think to your point it's like i one of the things is like i think about it's like it's the whole pipeline of like how do we get people even to the point of like putting up like having for our communities of having the internal capacity for us to like go out and have and have folks internally that bolt things because like you know in terms of it we're just not like i look at my community we're not there yet like we don't have enough like there's a, i can count on that my one hand how many native folks i know could probably do that um yeah. and and it, that's kind of where it's like all right yeah. we got to think about like how do we um sort of get kids interested in climbing, doing that sort of thing. And then also mm-hmm. just like then taking it outside and being responsible users. And I mean, so that whole, I look at it as like a generational thing that we're looking at. And then I think for myself, it's also yeah. like, I want to make, I think around the root naming, it's like, it's always, um, we're always a product of the people of our time in the moment and like norms and values change mm-hmm, over time. Mm-hmm, I agree. But what are the ways in which we can create sort of a lasting culture that can sort of cut through that and be as like a, a, like a, a baseline, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah, no, no, I yeah. get what you're saying. I think it's that. And then I want to throw a little random sidebar yeah. in there. I'm working on a project to help minorities and learn how to bolt and so, learn how to do that. So this is a conversation after yeah, the sweet. show, but I, I, I want to talk to you. I got something in the works. So, um, but um, 
It's funny you bring that up because people ask me why I like coaching so much. So my full-time job is I'm a rock climbing mm-hmm. coach. I coach kids, adults, but primarily I manage about 125 kids a week. And, you know, people ask me, like, why do you like it? One, children are mm-hmm. rad. Adults are assholes. <laughs> kids are just, they don't know yep. any better. And they're just like so happy to be there. So they bring that joy. Um, next, it's like, I feel like it is my absolute duty to continue to bestow the joy and the love for outdoors and things like this and understand and have and make myself available for hard conversations when they need to come. And that, that, and I, I coach, I coach majority Caucasian kids. Like that's just, yeah, I mean, rock climbing yeah. is majority white sport. It's just kind of how it works. Um, but I think that it's like, and it really like you, like when you were talking about like, you know, like introducing your kids into climbing and introducing the kids in your community, like that really like pulls in my heartstrings. And I think that's like where we start. I think that's like hands down. I think that's where we start. And I think that's where we prioritize the left hand and the right hand, assuming that majority of the population is right-handed, the right hand is doing the fight, but the left hand is still educating. Yeah. I guess it's the only way I can think yeah. about it because you've, you've got to, I mean, you've got to make disciples. Like you've got to make, you know, and you can call it indoctrinating you can call it whatever you want. But like, if anyone is listening to this podcast and you like the spaces that you go out to, and you like the rock climbing gyms that you go to those little penons that are, that are sending your project right in front of you, they are the mm-hmm. future of rock climbing. And so it is, ev- if you were over the age of 21, it is your job to make sure that they understand that it is a privilege to do mm-hmm. all of this and they have a duty to kind of continue to make this space available for everyone they come across. And I don't know, that's how I look totally. at it. And so I think, you know, oh, yeah, I'm kind of going on no, this weird no, rabbit trail it's, it's, with all it, of this. It's, yeah, it's, a, but. it's a capacity thing. I think back to the root naming or the root thinging and like the cut question around bolting, um, you know, the, in the work I was in the research I've been doing, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of conflict, uh, between tribes and climbers. Um, I would say out of all recreation user groups, that's the biggest there's the most flashpoint there some of the most significant issues um is it just because things are considered sacred i mean i i guess i ask because yeah. like to me it's like why don't they have the same why don't you have the same like why isn't it the same hot button with like mountain climb i'm sorry mountain mm-hmm. bikers yeah i mean it's a few uh there's a few factors at play i think it's just historically the you know, you think about the culture of climbing and who is naming these routes. <laughs> like, it's also that. I mean, that's a huge driver in like how people interacted. Um, you know, I think the other is yeah. climbing and mountain conquering is has some very colonial roots. Um, totally, oh, yeah. that's oh, yeah. one. And then the other is that I think in some. Uh, it's just a, such a foreign activity to a lot of tribes. But the other is that, you know, the the act of bolting in the eyes of some tribes is an irreparable damage. Um, and, and okay. you know, in my community, like uh, I grew up, my grandparents grew up near this place called Shiprock um, in Northeastern. And that's oh, yes. been, oh my God, you want to talk about a hotbed of conflict, like you know, the first ascent was in the thirties. Um, actually the, some of the first use of glue and bolts, um, cause there's not a lot of natural protection on that. So it was like the first use of glue and bolts within North America was on this 
And, um, oh, wow. you know, because there was, they had to wrap down. I mean, it makes total sense. Yeah, and, that makes um, sense. So people were climbing, but what ended up happening is that it's kind of a gnarly route. I mean, it's a 2000 foot volcanic plug basically. And, um, you know, people fell and died and, you know, it's, it's a sacred place to our tribe. And so people saw that as a contamination of the site. And, you know, what it's meant is that in 70, 71, 72, there was a, um, basically a banning of all climbing on the reservation. So it's kind of like, just sort of like that still stands today. Um, and it's been this, like, it's been this frustrating thing of like, I love climbing. I love doing these things. This is an opportunity for our kids to connect with the landscape, but we're kind of having to like work to undo all this shit that happened like 50 years ago. Um, do you think it's more possible for your community and your tribe to be able to actually start climbing in that? I mean, like, screw me, I'm not, I'm an important and anybody else outside of that, but like, do you think it's a possibility to get your community within, within your own community doing that or is that just kind of like it's just a no-no across the board there's a lot of people that do you know i climb i mean one of my my climbing partner aaron is navajo too and you know there's a lot of interest and a lot of folks but i mean i think like you know this well it's like if you don't see people like yourself doing it it just doesn't seem accessible and i think that's been the no yeah yeah. Uh, that's a very true statement it's a little bit of a chicken the egg but i think like more like right now more than ever i think to your point like it's like more than ever. It's like a good, it's a good time. Great time to be a native American. Jeez. Like out of any point in history, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, I think about it, it's like, wow, it's like there's native rock climbers, um, black rock climber. I mean, we can just like, there's a lot of folks that have talent out there. And, and I think just like, uh, what's happening now. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to make a mental note, but 20 years from now, it's going to be like, what's it going to look like? It's going to definitely be better. Um, so oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Because I mean, I'm already seeing it now. Like I have, you know, there's a few, I, uh, I was talking to, so my, my number two at my job, Amanda Martyr, it's like, you know, whatever side of the brain is more organized, that's her. And then I'm the yeah. rest of it, you know? And, uh, we were talking about it and, you know, she's Asian and, um, what is it? And we were talking about like, I walked up to her and I was like, how do you, it was such an odd question. And we definitely had to talk about this in private, but I was like, how do you feel about having our first set of African-American kids in our classes? And she was like, you know, I didn't know how to feel about it at first. I know I'm excited, but she's like, but I'm hoping this can trickle continues and hoping this diversifies Mm -hmm. and hoping that we start having just like, you know, the phrase that I like to say all the time is I want to see the world mm-hmm. on our walls. I want to see the whole world on our walls. And for a long time, it just, it's been the 70, yeah. not the world. And it's starting to change. Um, I kind of like to flip gears here because I, uh, you know, as I, as everyone knows, I follow you, you know, actually <laughs> that's so funny. I was thinking about it. And when you announced that you were leaving academia, I was like, oh, so he's going to be become a professional <laughs> memer because he's just killing the game. That's what I thought you were going to do. Like legit. I was like, he could make money. I doing this. Money Why doing not? I mean, the, <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was about to say the fat Jew, the, the fat Jew makes a ton of money doing this. So I'm like, like, that's it. My homeboy. Yeah. That's it. But 
uh, but I really would like to dive into your uh, your aspirations cinematically. Mm-hmm. I've really watched some of the stuff you've come out with. I'm really like impressed with it. Your the quality is amazing. You're doing things that I wish I would just like shake off the fear that I have of putting my content yeah. out sometimes and just like throw it out there and do it. But um, are you trying to go somewhere with this or is it just kind of like a passion project whenever no, it happens? Yeah, I think happens? that's like you're picking it up on, you know, part of um, part of what. <laughs> so I, I do have to address the memes and I will. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I like, I, I started Natives Outdoors, our, our company, three years ago as an Instagram account, and then it slowly evolved into doing apparel. And then we started saying, oh, there's an opportunity in media, there's opportunity in consulting. And we're doing our business planning and kind of figuring out where is our opportunities. But, um, you know, one of the things that we dived into was um, film and storytelling. And just given our time and given how people are uh, getting mm-hmm. information learning about things. It's through social media. It's through media. Generally people aren't reading journal articles. And I saw this, you know, like one of my films, um, welcome to Gwich mm-hmm. led to a testimony in front of Congress. Um, so you saw me body Paul Gosar in a recent post, you know, known white supremacist. Let's, let's put that out there. Um, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was a point at which I saw there's a lot of power in this tool and I think one of the things I saw was that my training in, in sort of understanding my, my part of my doctorate was looking at the roles in which cultural values influence people's perception of risk preferences around environmental mm-hmm. issues. And I said, there's a way I can connect that research and what I'm doing there to the stories that are being told, because when we're outside, you know, our, our bodies are the hardware moving through the, through the mountains, but our software is our culture and how we perceive others in our group, how we perceive the environment, how we take in information. I said, this is a really place that has a lot of interesting stories to tell. Um, and one of the things that I, I, you know, I really saw as important is like the vehicle in which we can explore sort of the inner workings of ourselves is through these films. And and so Guichage, um, which I'll send along to you, but it was a, it's a 14 minute film about the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge and the Guichin people's fight to protect it. We actually never shot a single a single uh, section of the film in the Arctic Refuge because um you know, as, as much as an important as it is, we really wanted to show people the Gwich'in people's cultural relationship to the landscape, because then it would totally make sense why they would care about this place, you know, wherever it may be. But, but when I, you know, at least in the other films, um, you know, the other part of it is, is, um, that's the sort of storytelling. I got some other goofy stuff going on, but, you know, I think the, (laughs) Oh, yeah. I definitely want to hear about those. I so, don't wanna, I, um, I'm working on a climate change uh, film right now, uh, or sorry, like a, a short, dumb film about climate change. It's not dumb. Well, it is dumb, but um, you'll see why. But basically it was, it's, <laughs> you know, there's all this talk about going to Mars, right? And and it does snow on Mars, believe it or not. There is Mars snow. <laughs> oh, it does. I, 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 I watched The Red Planet. I mean, secretly, I just hope they... Like one of my friends was like, if you could do anything, the dumbest thing, what would you do? I was like, cryogenically freeze me, terraform Mars, yeah. and then let me bolt. 
it might take a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cryogenically frozen. It's tomorrow, so I'm not really it, you concerned. Know, gravity is 38% of what it is here on Earth, so like you can do some hard stuff. <laughs> oh, dude. 517C coming your way. Um, oh so we're God. making this film about the highest peak on Mars is Olympus Mons. It's like 69,000 feet or something like that. It's massive. It's massive. It goes yeah. into the stratosphere. So the story is, yeah. Like I, I recently <laughs> no, read some. Oh, wait, go, wait. Ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, I cut you off. My bad. No, I recently read something. They were talking about like it's so big that you would not realize that you're standing at the foothills. Like it's so really? massive. And I was like looking at a picture on. Uh, do you follow? It's one of the subsidiaries of NASA, but they post oh, all these yeah. photos on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they. And they, they posted this mountain and they're like, Mars is so, that mountain is so big. You would not, we're standing at the foothills. And I'm like, whatever I could. And then I started looking and then I started looking and then I was, I pulled out like one of my, like a topo, a map. And I was like, this is what the, <laughs> and then I started looking at an Instagram photo. I was like, okay. The, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, damn. And that thing was all the way over there. I'm like, that thing is the size of like, maybe six of Texas put <laughs> yeah. together. <laughs> it is it's massive that's it just is. the footprint so we're making a film about this whole process about what it would take to go put the first ski or snowboard descent on olympus mons <laughs> and and so we're gonna talk with uh jeremy jones uh snowboarder you know uh owner about how he would design a board for Mars. And then I our the funniest thing that happened today is I got put in contact with a former astronaut. Um, and so we're just going to talk like semi-seriously talk to him about like what it would take to, to shred Mars or, you know, like space travel and all of that. But it's a five minute film. It's going to be completely, it's like completely a joke. But the point being is that like, it, it takes so much less energy to protect our home planet than to try to go shred on Mars. <laughs> oh, wow. Well played. Well played. So, I like but, this. Yeah, but that's the, um, that's the premise. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, I would like to no. back... Oh, go ahead. I want to back... I just want to back up on something you said that, like, really resonated with me earlier. Um you said a comment that was like just super powerful. You were, our bodies are the hardware, our yeah. minds are the software. And I think that's just really thing. Cause the media, cause I just had to like update a bunch of my software on my computer. And I like sat here for like 40 minutes and I was like, <laughs> and I don't know why, but I just connected that with, uh, that feeling of me waiting for my computer to update with the feeling of the update of people and the update of the changing of the environments and the changing of that and the totally. changing of the landscape. It's just like everyone hates it. Like everyone hates it when their phone oh, yeah. auto updates. They love it at the end. We all love that. We all love the cool little bells and whistles, but all of us get pissed because it always happens at the oh, most totally. unopportune the time. time. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And so, I mean, for people who don't want social oh, justice, yeah. who people who don't want to see the page, it's like it's always happening to them at the most unopportune that, time. I don't know why. I just wanted to, like, bring that back because I thought that was, like, very, like, harmonious. No, and it was and, beautiful and culture that you said that. Is hard. Way, it was fabulous. You know, that's the other 
that's the hard thing is like changing. Like it's so hard to change ourselves. And I always remember it's like people won't change unless they want to. So what's like, what's the, what's the, yeah, you know, yeah. what's the sort of incentives to like kind of push people like down the, down up the hill or down the hill, whatever, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, in that, in that way, that's kind of where, I get to talk about the memes now, um, you know, in, in, <laughs> in native culture in like a lot of native cultures, I wouldn't say all, but like mine, Navajo specifically, like humor is a tool that we use in very serious situations or when times would like, you know, you'll go to a meeting, you're talking about something really hard or whatever. And people like will crack a joke or laugh because if things get too serious, it's too hard to actually talk about the hard stuff. And, um, I mean, that's mm -hmm. a lot of cultures. That's not just not native cultures. I would just, yeah. No, I mean, I've done that. I've done that. I've talked about it in uh, terms when I've been in like in Arkansas or Alabama. And, you know, I've talked about when I've met people who walk up to me and they're like, well, mm -hmm. boy, what are you doing out here? And I'm like, I'm always <laughs> just like, oh, I don't. <laughs> oh, I'm a grown ass man. I'm sorry. I didn't see that. And they'll find it funny and they'll chuckle or yeah. I'll break it off or, you know, pull the classic Dave Chappelle, just, <laughs> you know, the black racist and just go full, full on like crazy on them. But like, I've definitely done that. Like, and humor is the way that you diffuse mm. the racist. Humus, humor is the way that you diffuse people who. Humor is how you diffuse a situation from a person who believes that they are in a point of power. They believe that they deserve to be in a state of power. And I, I, I think mm -hmm. that's universal across the board because I've talked to my friends uh, who are Asian and they talk about, you know, the, the, the perfect minority, same thing. You know, they play into the stereotype and play into the jokes and play into that to diffuse the situation. Cause every once in a while, like, you know, survival, that's dude. just, <laughs> you know, that's what, yeah, it's what you got to do for your own peace of mind. Even, even if the situation mm -hmm. really isn't that bad, even if it's like all your homies, all your friends, you know, every once in a while, you just kind of like, I don't know how to say it, but like, you know, every once in a while you have to play those, one of those cards just to kind of get mm -hmm. a litmus test on the room. And you're just like, you know, you're kind of like, okay, okay. Every, everybody's cool here. They laughed at the joke. And then there's that one person who maybe didn't really laugh at the joke, but they're snickering at it. But then they're looking at you and like, <laughs> not letting you belay me homeboy. <laughs> you uh, you yeah, out. I mean, that's the, you out. I, I said, yeah, I mean, that's been the, that's kind of the tool during this time, like during the COVID times. Cause like we're all on our phones, like we're just consuming media of all sorts and, uh, you oh, know, yeah, it's like day. there's a lot of hard shit going on in addition to the pandemic with all the like hate crimes recently against Asian folks. And like, I mean, we can go so crazy. That you shit's know? And wild. I think like people I have, I'm, you know, I have strong opinions on all that stuff. But, you know, I think sometimes it's like, am I, I will put those out there when it matters um, and when I think it's important. But if other times it's like, I think there's other points at which I'm just like, let's kind of try to find some humor in the absurdity of the time that we're in, but also try to build cohesion through that and then talk about the hard stuff. And, and um, yeah, you know, that's been the funny thing is like, I've gained all these followers during the pandemic and it's been all because of the memes. And it's like, well, like once people are 
I could go outside again. <laughs> you know, it might be different, but <laughs> I mean, I think you're killing it. So I'm I so I'm I'm gonna admit something. You are one of the few people that I have all notifications turned on. Mario, that is an that's an honor. I think you're the first person to mention that. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna put that on my resume now. <laughs> <laughs> oh no because i'm not gonna lie man some of your shit is straight fire it's never bad like uh you know just shoot straight from the hip some of it's like yeah. okay that's that's clever that's witty and sometimes <laughs> i'm like oh damn you need to hurt nobody's feelings god damn but thank you thank you so much so yeah, yeah, yours, yours, like there's a, there's like maybe five people. Now I'm honestly, I will say there are ten, maybe ten people that I have out of everyone that I follow <laughs> that I have full notifications on. But yours, oh, is definitely I need one to, of them. I need to create a Substack so. now. I think I'll just or in, and do these FTP sales of memes or whatever. I'm just learning about what these are. <laughs> I'm kidding. Nice. I'm not going to do this, but. <laughs> I, no, I'm waiting for you to create like a like everyone has that like your seat your, like your friends group the green circle, and so you, you ever want to invite you, a brother into the green, green circle? circle? I, actually you know, don't, just... I don't post in it very much though. <laughs> oh, see, that's where I that's where I say <laughs> yeah, shit that like so, so everyone in <laughs> sticker. Oh, so hold on, I'm gonna go ahead and say this right now, sticker club members. Y'all are in the green circle for sins and suffers, but you got to holler at me directly to be in the green circle of the other one because that's where I play oh, angry man. black man. So oh, but that's we're gonna good. Move on yeah, that that's one. been, yeah, the, the meme thing I mentioned, I got paid. I did, I did some work for that tire at the end of last year for some of their memes. Um, they did a, they did a series where they were, um, Taking because Fat Tire is the first carbon certified, carbon neutral certified beer. So basically, they offset all of the carbon in mar- making the beer oh, wow. it's first, first in the world. It's really awesome, and um, you know they announced this, and part of their part of their campaign was talking about how, you know, by the end of century twenty one hundred, beer a six pack could cost a hundred dollars in today's money because of water shortages, because of of crop failures, blah, you name it. And um, they said, it doesn't have to be that way. And the way that we get there is by reducing our carbon emissions. And so, but in making that announcement, there's, you know, all of the, all of the goonies came out of the woodwork (laughs) and, you know, started, you know, leaving their thoughts in the um, comments. And so they said, Hey, here's a really savage way of doing some marketing they screenshotted the comments and then started making them into memes and then putting some witty responses to them and so part of my job was to like do some of that (laughs) it was just it was just it was just like you know we we crossed out people's handles and stuff but like you know their words are out there and we get to I'm, you know, I'm going to go ahead and bestow the certified hustler degree on you because you are like a modern day hustler. Like we will not get into the stories of me hustling as a child because I did some shit that oh, like I too, I, 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 I'm sure some people back from my old days are listening to this and y'all know what I did in we'll middle school alone, and high school. Yeah. So we're going to leave that alone. But modern day oh, hustler I, will, I take that honor again on the resume again 
Oh my god, that's yeah. freaking awesome. So it's been Oh my god. Yeah, I'm excited. You're the first person I've ever talked to that's actually gotten paid to do memes. So I mean like that the let's flip yeah, this yeah. around. I mean, Honor is you know, mine. I look at you know, the one account I was like, I kinda said there's gotta be money in this is that one account to Quan. Um sold so, oh, sold yeah. for eighty five yeah. million dollars a few about. years ago. No, uh, are you kidding me? The whole thing, the account, like the whole thing sold the account. <laughs> so there's there's money in memes and like it's nuts. <laughs> I'm in the wrong the business. The meme game, man, it's hot right now. <laughs> the meme game is hot. I, I'm going to go ahead and say, like, let's just be honest. You're a brilliant dude. I feel like to get quality memes, you you have to put some thought and some effort because I've definitely seen a couple of them. I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, this is pretty weak. And like, I feel like majority of them are weak. But the memes that you, you always know it's good when you chuckle at the meme, but then you're like, yeah, like, oh, this is fun. And you're like, wait a minute. You have to go back and read it like two or three times. Look at the picture. You're like, <laughs> oh, you mother. <laughs> Those are the best, and I feel like you deliver oh, those pretty I gotta well. Say, so. One of the one of the joys of my life is I I follow Black Twitter a lot of Black Twitter because it's just there's fire in that scene. It's so much. <laughs> I don't tweet at all, oh but I do God. follow. I think the one that I saw recently that I just I think I died was it was is there's a there's a photo of Kamala Harris like on the phone kind of smiling like in running outfits, and and it said something to the effect of like Hey Joe, I'm broke again. <laughs> like she spent her stimmy. <laughs> I just had to put down the phone for a day. I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> oh oh shit. <laughs> oh my God. But yeah, I just I, I don't know. The humor is God, I mean it's like it's a it's a tool for co coping, man. Like Yeah. You know, our communities, that's, I mean, we both, both of our communities use humor for that purpose. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Actually, it's, we're talking about this. The movie that pops oh, into my totally. mind is Blazing Saddle. <laughs> oh, yeah. Have you ever classic. seen that? That's classic. Classic. Anyone who hasn't seen this and you're, if you're listening to this podcast, stop the podcast. I don't care if you're at work. Turn on Blazing Saddle. Watch the whole thing. It's on Netflix. It's on Hulu. And it's probably you can if napster is still a thing do that but um it is an amazing movie and it's funny i just like i see that because there was both both of those cultures were portrayed in that movie <laughs> and if i remember that correctly but totally. i don't know why that i mean that's a movie that head. could but, not be made today you know in like, talking let's... about <laughs> in... Oh, it could be made today. People would be outraged, but <laughs> yeah. then the rest of us would be laughing. You know, it, it, oh, yeah. it's almost yeah. like the Tiger King. Like everyone who watched the Tiger King was like, you just, like, this is a terrible, terrible thing. You can't stop watching it. If Blazing Saddle was made today, people would be like, this is so wrong. And I would look at and this would be me in the room. Everyone would be like, it's such a terrible movie. I'm like, but all exactly. of y'all have watched it. <laughs> And I'm just looking around the room and everyone's just like heads go down. I'm like you might hate it, yeah. but you all watched it. Um talking 
Talking about movies and uh, things, we have a mutual friend, obviously. Um, we do, yeah. We have, a, we have a bunch of mutual friends, but um, I uh, I was super sad that I didn't get the opportunity to hang out with you mm, in yeah, Moab Q. with Q. And I was just kind of curious, like, how did you two link up? Because, you know, I only found out the greatness of Q and what Q is. And for those of you who are listening, I am not talking about the quantum leap. Yep. I am talking about an actual human person. Um, you know, I just dated myself there. It that, is a jam. Which quantum leap good. is a jam. Let's yeah. just be honest. Like that, It was. Yeah, Q it was and a I good met, show. Uh, I think in Jackson, again, mutual friends. Um, and then just all the lead up to the stuff around Bears Ears, you know, Q spends a lot of time in that part of the world. And I grew up there, um, yeah. in that area and, and just like the whole advocacy around, um, protecting Bears Ears and that monument was, um, how we linked up and, you know, like everyone else in like kind of the outdoor space, like that's kind of how I, I mean, it was just like, that was the moment in which I had my in and like kind of created the opportunity, you know? So a person looking, uh, so someone looking from the outside, Bears Ears was a big deal, but I, it seems like quite a few people got really linked in and there was a lot of, like, it seems to me the whole Bears Ears thing was a springboard because from that, it seemed like it catapulted a lot of people into the industry of activism. It catapulted mm-hmm. a lot of people into that. And so it seemed like there was a lot of major players in that whole thing. Well, I want, I don't want to use the term major players. I want to say like in order to protect the things that you love people united. And it seemed like a lot of that happened. And so um, a question I would like to ask is, is there anything that happened with that that is still happening that is probably not commonly known that people should still care Uh, about. Yeah, I mean, my the monument's probably coming back, most likely. I don't know. It might be a bit different. Um, But you know, it was the first time uh, tribes uh, in this country are like, we kind of fall into this weird thing called domestic dependent nations, but we have this unique relationship with the federal government because we're kind of like citizens of two nations. So we're like both, we have a legal and political identity in addition to a racial one. And like, that's plays out in a lot of different ways. <laughs> it is complicated. I won't go too down that rabbit hole, but one of the things that when it comes to tribes is that by law, we have a seat at the table because, you know, our interests are front and center in a lot of these landscapes. Are they, are those, are, are, you know, we're consulted with, but doesn't mean necessarily our issues are sort of issues are, you know, addressed adequately. But Bears Ears was significant because um, tribes recognizing that power um, said, hey, we're going to lobby Obama to use the Antiquities Act, which is, uh, you know, an, an act that, sorry, my dogs are, are barking. Uh, they are. No, it's okay. Uh, They're but, trying to get into yeah, the it's show. A point it's fabulous. Which, um, uh, uh, yeah, basically the president can act unilaterally to protect landscapes. He can do these things by creating national monuments. And the tribe said, hey, mm-hmm. here's an opportunity for us to protect this large swath of land, about 2 million acres that has been basically looted for the past century by Mormon settlers uh, for artifacts. And so, and so this will give protection, blah, blah, blah created it happened 
Um, but, you know, one of the things that was really critical in that is that Sally Jewell, um, awesome lady, <laughs> in addition to everything else she's done, um, basically told the tribes and the intertribal coalition, if you want this to stick, if you want this to be a national monument, you got to get a wide swath of, you know, wider swath of, of constituents to like buy into this. And the easiest one was climbers, climbers, outdoor rec community. And so those linkages mm-hmm. started getting built. And so I came into that, you know, kind of right, right at as it was happening, sort of like, you know, in the conversations that were happening, I was coming in on the outdoor industry side. I was kind of familiar with the stuff happening on the tribal side, but um, you know, when that, when that monument got reduced, all that stuff happened around it. <clears throat> um, you know, it, it, these existing partnerships and linkages just got supercharged, you know, and sort of like solidified. And so, you know, I look at the folks that I've been really fortunate to like continue to work with through then we've gone on and done other things and, you know, and just the amount of native people within the industry, it's just been nuts, you know, to see how much that's just exploded. It's really grown. Oh yeah. It's grown. Oh, so. it's grown. It's grown. Yeah. I was talking to, you know, uh, James who wrote, um, oh, his name is escaping, oh, yeah, but he uh, wrote the adventure James, gap. Uh, Mills. Yeah. So I remember the first time I went to OR, he was the only other brother that I saw there. And I walked OR every day and I went even to, I, you know, I even went to the food. What was it? There was a section of it where, oh, I walked around the textile section yeah. where there's no one there. It's all just companies from Asia and selling textiles. Yeah. And there's like one dude who speaks English. And I was just like walking around trying to find one other brother. And I randomly <laughs> ran into James and we were like, ooh, like we saw each other. And then he gave me a book of the adventure gap, signed it. And he was like, read this book. And I was like, okay. Okay. And so I read it immediately. Uh, and then the next year, uh, the only other brother I met yeah, was yeah, Darren sweet. Josie, a good friend of mine who <laughs> know, used to work him, for yeah. Polar Tech. Oh, you know, Darren? Yeah. Oh, Darren. Darren's money people. Darren's money people. And uh, now he works for Eno and, um, you know, and then from that moment on, it just exploded. And then I was talking about this to someone else. It's like, it was, uh, I wish I remember the year, uh, it was, but it was like, I want to say the year I met James <clears throat> OR was in Salt Lake for mm, wow, right. four more years, four more years, four or five, four or five more years. I want to say. I definitely think it was four. It was four more years of uh, OR was in Salt Lake because it was one year I didn't go because of financial situations. But um, and then. No, it was five years. It was five more years because I went for a total of four times. And um, I remember every year I went, it wasn't until like year four that all of yep. a sudden it exploded. And there were so many more people there. It was, it would just blew my mind. And that was actually the first time I think, I want to say the year after that was the first time I actually saw you walking around there. And uh, that was the first time I saw you. That was the first time I had seen quite a few people 
actually walking around there and it was wild. It was just like so interesting to me because I was just like kind of taken aback. Like I was actually, I was a little like flabbergasted because I was like, (laughs) there are minorities here. I don't know what to do. Like, do I put on my, do I put on my very civil voice or do I just like, you know, just go in like me, like East coast slang, you know? And I didn't really know. And it was just, but it was a very, 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 very beautiful thing. But yeah, I mean, I remember attending a war for, you know, almost the better part of six years and, you know, guaranteeing James and, uh, Darren were the only two people that I expected to run into. And occasionally there was another brother touring the event, but for the most part, like I would never see it's them the so next wild. year. I do, and it I was do wild. remember like so Salt Lake. I'm really happy. Way. He probably yeah. didn't see me. Cause I just like, was like, all right, I'm going to dip out of here. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> I don't blame you. I went to Maple Canyon very yeah, quickly every, yeah, after totally. every day. So I mean, it's it's definitely a different. I mean, yeah, it's a different different space for sure. And I mean, it's I I don't have a crystal ball. I can't see into the future. But I'm kind of like, if this is the trajectory, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> oh, I think it's going to be so great. I think the next time, you know, honestly, you know, if anybody's listening to this that works from OR, like. I think the level of bromance and bromance is going to be next level. Like people, yeah. like I'm expecting a lot of tears at the next OR because people are going to be so happy to congregate because my favorite part of OR is just walking up to the random booths that of like, I go to like, like the tiger ball booth, which is like these therapeutic balls where you can like, you know, work out your muscles and all that. But I go to that booth every year and I see probably there's only a few people that I've seen that stuck around, but I always have these like random little side conversations and I write notes about like what they've been doing and seeing what they do, what's going on with them. And I think I'm expecting there's going to be a lot of crying going on because people are going to just be so happy to actually see people and just like, yeah. I What's haven't seen you and I don't remember your name. <laughs> yeah. What happened is Damn. to you? No. Yeah, it's like, and I miss like the exactly. swag, man. I miss the free oh swag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the, yeah. I miss the, I miss, uh, what is it? Uh, clean canteens. Uh, yeah, I miss from, ooh, That's a OR, good yeah. question. What do you miss most from OR? I miss, uh, I want to say, I can't remember if it's Clean Canteen or the company that makes those like orthotic insoles oh, that go uh, into your uh, shoes. I can't remember. Super Clean like that. Canteen, that company. Yeah, Superfoot. But one of them used to make Bloody Marys every morning that's in so- line every day. <laughs> First thing, I would like, I would not miss that. I would take a, I would get a Bloody Mary. I would mix in some extra BC powder. Yeah. So I could just like be on my A game. I, oh man, it does. I remember that. That's I just, yeah, you're life. right. I mean, it's like kind of the, 
yeah, just seeing people. And, it, you know, I, I think one of the jokes that I've, I've been making in one of my group chats is the let's collaborate line. Cause it's like at OR, it's like, everything is about saving the world. And like, you know, we're all kind of like being excited and imaginary. And I, um, yeah, when I'm yeah. hitting up some of my friends is about like some work projects and stuff. I'm like, Hey, let's collaborate, man. <laughs> just to like, cause we miss OR, you know, we miss it. Just like, I like that. Oh no, I do. I mean, I just, yeah, I think that's the thing I miss. Um, I want to ask you, um, yeah. kind of three more questions here and then I kind of want to give you an opportunity to do a shout out or kind of mention anything, a PSA or anything like that. But, um, you know, one thing for me that I have recently been in a bunch of talks and, I really like that this is said, but a lot of times I don't know where to find the information and I'm just going to assume that I'm like every other American in the world. Um, people always ask me, they're like, you know, give your pronouns and what native lands are you on? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> like, like, where would you recommend that someone go to, to find the native lands that they are existing on? So just yeah, so they know and they can educate themselves. Uh, yeah, I mean that's there's native land native-lands.ca. Um I, you know, I poke so much fun at the land acknowledgement. <laughs> it's just like I'm the one of the few people that could do that. Um but you know, <laughs> I mean it's just kind I mean, of go uh, with it, you know, man. I, I I always kind of say it's like I acknowledge this car belongs to the Lakota nation and then I drive off. <laughs> I just, you know, it's like, I, I think it's an important tool. It is an important tool, but I think in it, it's just like, we have to recognize its limitations. And one of them is like raising the uh, sort of invisibility of native peoples and a lot of issues in our country, you know, elevating that, which I think is really important. Um, and I understand that intention, but I think yeah. in doing so, it's like, I think then we're at the point now where I think we can begin shifting the conversation. And so a lot of my sort of poking fun at the land acknowledgement is, um, is to saying like now shifting it to what? tribes being a legal political institution that were native, your nations, like all of our public lands are native lands. And it's like, now we have a secretary of interior that's native. And I think saying like the lands that we're on, like, can we start thinking about repatriation of lands? Can we start thinking about, um, you know, taking. Mm. <clears throat> That's heavy. I mean, what would that actually look like, though? Because sorry, I should about repatriation yeah, of land. I should say the repatriation yeah, is, the is a that, spectrum. But yeah, uh, I mean, but yeah. <laughs> OK, yeah. yeah, this is OK. We'll get on. <laughs> Yeah, totally. you're going to be a guest again. And then we're going to get into give, that. I will give a quick that's highlight. A rabbit you know, one hole. of the things that happens in a lot of countries is like Bears Ears was going to be a co-managed federal like unit that would have equal voting, like power and management status from the tribes and the federal government. And I think that's sort of a sustainable model that we can move to is just mm -hmm. native people. So that's what I'm saying in like terms of like, okay, we that can makes then sense. talk about that. We can then you know, let's move to that now. Um, and um, yeah, and then actually the interesting thing about the pronouns is that one one of the things is um, in, in Navajo culture, we actually have four genders. Um, and yeah, yeah, um, we have two gender identities really? for male, female, obviously, and then folks that, you know, identify in different ways as transgender. Um, um, so yeah, four. 
Um, and you know, in the, in the pronouns thing, like that's kind of a hard thing for me sometimes because it, it almost feels like we're ascribing a set of cultural values that I don't come from, but I feel like the culture I come from can help address this as well. And like, you know, I don't want to lose that because we've had that for centuries or not centuries, you know, we've had that for since our inception and it's like a part of our culture. <clears throat> yeah. That's really, yeah. I, I, once again, next episode, I want to dive into that because that's very interesting to me because I know I, I have a lot of friends that struggle with that and understanding that. And I think understanding and hearing it from a culture that has had that for centuries, mm-hmm. I think it would be a very good eye-opening yeah, well, thing. Yeah. Okay. N- mental note. Okay. Okay. No mental note. Um, we'll just another take question. I would, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so uh, another question I want to ask you is: so, um, what are the top fights? Like, like let, let's just pick two things. Like, what are two things? that you're involved in that people can help you with, whether it's monetarily, whether it's just like reposting your memes all day, whether it's whatever, but like, what are two things that people can do or what are two fights or two things that you're involved in that are um, important to you? And then I'm just going to throw out the second, the last question is, and this is a question I like to ask everybody is for education. Like what are books that you would that you have gifted or that you would recommend that we buy and then just dive into. And oh, it, I, I mean, will. if you've I'll got an entire link, library, but, uh, just hit first me. First question uh, with Natives Outdoors, we're gonna we're actually gonna start a Kickstarter here in the next few months to like raise some funds to finish some of these film projects. You know, it's always a as you well are aware. You know, it's always a, it's always a struggle of us. It's nice. expensive and. You know, it's expensive. Camera equipment's expensive and it's a major barrier. And so we're going to do that. That's a big thing. Oh, yeah. um, but it's investing in oh, I know. Um, native storytellers that we work with and are incredibly talented. And the, basically the gap has been money. So that's one. Um, the other is, is just, you know, I've been covering a lot around Deb Holland's nomination and what that means. And, you know, it was it was true of. I don't know if you how much you paid up, paid attention to like some of the nominations of secretary cabinet officials and stuff like that but women of color and like people of color got like just totally reamed by um senate republicans and just like totally racist double standards and stuff and i think what we're gonna see is a lot more um Mm -hmm. sort of i like to call it harassment (laughs) um you know by members of congress um, of these folks and agencies that are trying to do good things and um, you know, and so and part of that is just like with Deb Holland and just celebrating her, celebrating the other cabinet members, because now we have like the most diverse presidential cabinet of any any point in history. You know, you go down all <laughs> it's just like that's something yeah. that we got to like. I, I really think it's like the next two to four years. We really got to just um um you know, make those people feel like they're, they have the support that they need to do their job because they're just going to receive so much shit. Yeah. Yeah. And as for books, um, there's a reading list on natives outdoors that we put together kind of at the beginning of the pandemic, because we knew people were going to be inside. Um, but we, uh, I would say there's, there's two books that I've read, um, 
recently. Uh, one that I always recommend is if you spend time on public lands, a good one to read is Dispossessing the Wilderness by Mark David Spence. It's the history of national parks and the creation of the reservation system and how the mm-hmm. two had to coincide. Really interesting. Um, and then the other book that I read this past year that was just totally eye-opening was this one called um, The Other Slavery. And um, and it's a story about indigenous slavery and uh, slavery, uh, uh, basically indigenous people enslaving each other, indigenous people being enslaved that was occurring in this continent um, all the way up until the 1900s. Um, in places like Mexico. And it was just, it was eye-opening, but also just sort of the complexity. Um, and then there's, um, uh, there's another one called blurring the color lines, I believe, but it's a story of, of black and indigenous people and like sort of the intersections of indigenous and black people within the Americas. Um, and so that's been, those have been three books that I read in this past Mm. year that have just been really enlightening. Um, and just also just make history like so complex, um, you know, and, and just like it, and yeah, it's just, I think in, in sort of having that view, it's like, wow, it's like amazing that we're even at the point that we're at now. So I'll, I'll send that along that reading list and I will. Yeah, please do. Yeah. 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 Well, I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for being here. Um, this has been a joy. I'm not going to lie. This is probably one of the podcasts (laughs) that I've been like most excited to do ever. Yeah. All my other guests, previous guests and guests to come y'all are fabulous. Y'all beautiful, but like this is bromance. So y'all just need to calm yourselves down. Um, but yeah, well, um, is there just, just before we go and I know your dogs are giving out a PSA here real quick. Is there anything that anyone you want to give a shout out to check out natives outdoors and our homies there? It's like, you know, I'm one person, but I have a whole team of folks that are doing awesome stuff and yeah, I, they're, they're all there. So yeah, shout out to all of them for actually being my meme feed. I'm going to be quite honest. There's a, there's a couple group chats I'd have that I'm not going to take all the credit for my memes. They definitely feed a lot of them to me. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I want to say that the sticker that was made was by my homegirl, Tessa Rappa. Check her out at tar underscore art underscore on the gram. She is an amazing artist from Dallas based out of New York. And if you're not a member of the sticker club, there's so much stuff that you can get. Stickers in the month every mail, love letters for me, a chance to win gear from tension climbing beyond clothing organic climbing there's a monthly raffle and i want you guys to be a part of it five dollars a month outside of that i hope you enjoyed this episode lynn is amazing go find him online laugh at his memes share them cry live your best life but as always if you're not suffering are you really sending at all